are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. You are the closest person to the microphone we have ever had. I just follow the rules. This is amazing. I mean, seriously, I don't think we've ever had a closer Because I said, you better guest. get really close to the microphone. I'm impressed. Ooh. <laughs> are you nervous? I am. You would not believe that my nervousness comes more from language issues than telling my story. I'm always a little insecure about my English, but oh, just man. don't tell anybody. We're here with an English teacher, and exactly. I have a I have an English degree. But if you listen to the podcasts, there are some times where I'm like, "That was bad grammar." <laughs> <laughs> have you listened to some of the podcasts? Yes, they're amazing. I picked and chose some because I knew some people more than others, just to get my feet wet with this. And then I'm like, "Why am I not following all of them?" It's just sometimes hard. But William is like, when when he was going to do this, I told him, "You need to listen to some of those." I keep telling you that because he traveled to Cleveland, so he has an hour and a half to listen to all of them, right? <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, I will. I will." Never did. And then when he started, it's like, "Why didn't you tell me about this?" I did. <laughs> just, we're not listening. We're not listening. But they're all amazing. All of them teach something, and it's just gets you to know more people. Mm-hmm. And it like does, you said, yeah. the story, you, you, you only see them for a few minutes, sometimes in church, and you don't know what's behind them. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Lizzie. Oh, it's Katie. And we are here with the beautiful, wonderful, sweet Millie Acevedo. Welcome, Millie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Kate. We're so happy to have you here. Yes, I'm happy to be sure. here. Millie was born and raised in Guatemala City, Guatemala. She lived there until she became an adult. She got married and moved to Chimaltenango. Chimaltenango. Perfect. After graduating from high school, she attended Central America Theological Seminary. Is that where you met your husband? Mm-hmm. Met her husband in seminary school. They got married and moved to Chilmontenango. Close enough? Close enough. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) She taught at the Guatemalan Bible Seminary. Correct. For seven years. She and her husband had three sons, Manolo, Diego, and Marcos, who passed away after 12 days from health issues. When I had uh, Diego, he was born with some health issues that we found out at month number two. He had a very severe acid reflux case. At that time in Guatemala, we didn't have anybody that would do the kind of surgeries that we now know as surgery to correct that. So they were doing all kinds of testing on Diego with all kinds of equipment that were made for adults and cut them to the side so they could use them pediatrically. So I went through a roller coaster of, you know, emotions and not knowing what to do and tired because it was a never-ending. My days were very long. I felt like I couldn't do anything else but just be his nurse for the longest time. So I created a lot of fear. So when I found out that I was pregnant with Marcus... I was not very happy with the news because I felt very fearful that I was going to have another son with health issues, maybe. And I was very tired uh, of what we have gone through with Diego. Felt a lot of guilt with those feelings. But he was born November the 27th, 2001. And during the pregnancy, we found out that he had a diaphragmatic hernia on his left side. The lady that did the ultrasound found out very early in the pregnancy this, and my gynecologist was not very sure if that she was reading this correctly because it was very early. And they waited and waited and never shown again until like week number, I want to say maybe 35. And there was not much they could do, you know, just wait for him to be born and see if he could get corrected. So there was a lot of stressful moments with that. A lot of prayers said, a lot of fears. At the time, we, we didn't really have the means to go to a, a nice hospital. And there was only four hospitals in Guatemala City that had the equipment he needed to be born. Two of them were private hospitals, so very different than the U.S. In the U.S., you go for 
I know that not everybody likes the system, but you go in the hospital and you get assisted for your whatever issues you have, and then you get the bill. You get the medicine and you get the doctors, even if you didn't pay right there and then. Over there, you have to put a lot of money down to even go into a hospital, and if you don't have it, you can't go in. So then there was the two public hospitals that had it too, so we chose one of them. And if I was to describe the picture of that, it was very, very tense. It's like in the movies when you have like a war movie, and it's kind of like a hospital put together with whatever resources they had right there. That's what it looked like because the walls, the paint is falling apart and the sheets that the patients have have holes. I mean, it's hard to even try to picture what a public hospital would be like. I remember I had the chance to go there earlier than the time when I was about to have Marcus and I went in and I looked at everything. And in my mind, I said, I would only stay here if I start having contractions right now. Otherwise, I'm not staying here, you know. So I go in, and they uh, took me to the ultrasound side of it, and they did an ultrasound, and the guy just, you know, kept doing the ultrasound and just putting that thing on my belly. And I thought, he's taking too long. I said, so what's this? Anything wrong? And he said, well, you are having contractions. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm staying here. (laughs) So I ended up in that hospital, had to wait for about according to the doctor, a week before they would uh, do the C-section. And I thought, man, this is bad. It was not a a good experience thinking that like that kind of hospitals at the time only allowed visitors on Wednesdays. Because when visitors would come in, there was a lot of robbery happening. So they would monitor visits because the visitors were taking things from the patients, like shoes or the cell phone. So trying to monitor all this, you felt like in jail. (laughs) was weird. But anyway, so I go in and I only went in with, you know, my flip-flops and whatever rub they gave me. And I was super stressed, you know, expecting this baby. We didn't know what was going to happen. I remember that night I cried my eyes out and I said, Lord, if we're going to have issues, you know, with his health, it doesn't matter if it's a week from now or today. Can you just make it happen, please? I just... So that night my water broke and uh, I was not having pain. But I knew it was coming and went to the, I guess, labor room the next morning and Marcos was born. Different than private hospitals, I didn't get to see my baby right away. They didn't bring him to me or anything like that. So I, I just lay there and waited and I, I stood up and I did everything I could to walk towards the area where he was. He passed me. They, they brought him out from the pediatric area, passed me in one of the stretchers. And I saw him, and, and he went away, but I didn't know it was my baby, right? So then I go in, and whatever little uh, crib had his name, he was not there, so I freaked out. You know, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, did anything happen? They just had taken him to surgery, but it was so sad. You know, you didn't get to hold your baby to pray over him. It was very different than with Manolo and Diego. So he had surgery. He corrected his hernia. But he had other issues because he was on the left side. His left lung was not developed, and then that gave heart issues too and had high blood pressure and other issues. I went home, but the baby stayed in the hospital. Home was an hour and a half from the hospital, Chinchimaltenango. But I would come every day to see him for five minutes. That's all they allow you to do. And he was connected to all kinds of tubes and stuff. I did what I knew to do, pray over him, sang all the songs I knew, you know, of worship over him and and would go home and just keep praying for him. It was hard because Diego went through some other issues and I felt that I was praying all the right things, you know. Not that there's a right way to pray. I just felt like I said all the right things and convinced God to please leave him, right? Uh, we'll give testimony of your goodness and your greatness and all these things that we usually say under a lot of pain. And God allowed, uh, actually spared Diego of that a couple times. And, and I always felt like, you know, God was had a great purpose. And so I did the same things, you know, with Marcus. And I remember my mom's pastor visited me. And he, he read a story in Acts of two disciples. He said, it's interesting that it's a sequence. He tells the story of, you know, how Peter was released from jail and he spared him from everything. And then you have the next disciple and his head was cut off. And I remember he alluding to the fact that God doesn't work the same with everybody. I'm like, but I want him to work the same with this one, please. He said, he's sovereign. He's not going to just do what we want, but there's purpose still. 
And I remember, you know, I wasn't too happy with that story. But I try to understand that it is true. God will still be God, and He's still great, and He still will do in our lives what He has meant to do. And I try to negotiate with God. I remember telling Him, you know, I will serve you, which I was already doing, but I will give testimony of this too. Please just spare Him from this. And it just lasted 12 days. The last day I went to see Him, they were putting a third antibiotic on Him. And they put it in one of the IV little tubes in his uh, leg. And you could see his, he, he couldn't cry because of all the tubes, but you could see his face, you know, just in pain. In that moment, I thought, man, am I selfish? I'm trying to make him hold on to life and this is not right. I talked to him. I remember the last things I said to him was the Psalm 23. If the Lord is calling you, just, just go to God. How long were you married at that point? I was married in 1991, so that would make it, what, 10 years? That was a lot of stress in our marriage, mm-hmm. you know. Lynn uh, talked about that, about how many marriages end in divorce yes. when you lose a child. Yes. Mm-hmm. Of course, years later, now in the States, I have a good friend who is now a clinical counselor, and we keep in touch and stuff. We have talked about this because we, we both graduated from seminary. And she's like, you would not believe the amount of people that goes through this and their marriages don't survive. I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me? You know, at that point, you don't have all the tools. My ex-husband was in depression. I, for the longest time, that felt like I was a single mom but married. And at some point, I said, a mom of my husband, too, because he was in need, too. But I was not prepared for that. I didn't have all the tools to, to help. As a woman, I was in need of a husband, you know, because I was also going through all this at the same time. And um, not an easy path for either of us, I think. Uh, unfortunately, you know, that kind of pile alongside with other things. We were in ministry. We were really invested in people. And ministry and marriage kind of overlap to the point that you find a lot of satisfaction, but you don't know if it's the marriage or the ministry. And it's mostly the ministry. You know, you're trying to invest everything in there, and you're not really investing a lot in in you as ministers. A lot of doing, a lot of doing stuff. I think there was something there turning point when I came to the States. Well, actually, when I got divorced or separated. Millie and her husband were in ministry together. Seven years, planted a church. They were involved with short-term mission work, and they were married for 18 years before their marriage ended. We were in Chimaltenango 20 years. Out of those 20 years, we did different things, but seven of those years were invested in teaching in seminary and preaching in the towns, the surroundings where we live. We did mission work with teams that came from the States to do short-term mission work. I was more leaning towards the medical side. My ex-husband would do more of the building homes for, for people. We planted the church. That's another ministry that we did. And then, you know, all this happens. Tell us what divorce was like in Guatemala. So I come from a conservative type of church. There's a lot of emphasis in having a good testimony. You have to do certain things to show you are a Christian, like a lot of doing. <laughs> it could be that they teach it that way or, you, or we interpret it that way and you end up, you know, wrapped in this kind of concepts. But a good Christian does not get divorced kind of thing. And in the time of ministry, I, I came in contact with a lot of women and I have question mark over a lot of issues like People would stay in very unhappy marriages, and I don't think that's God's will either. Uh, They would stay there even if the husbands would cheat on them. And it was kind of like a get back, I'm not giving you a divorce type thing, and go sin, I'm your wife forever. So there's a lot of misconcepts of what a marriage should be. Women are very submissive to their husbands. Husbands are not very loving to their wives. I think in every culture, the enemy takes the culture and... According to what he finds there, he will distort the picture that God really wants for us in our marriages. That's good. Here would be different. You know, I moved here and I, and I, I always tell my husband, it's funny because it's the enemy takes the concepts here and the culture mm-hmm. here. There's a lot of fighting for your rights type thing and women kind of get empowered and sometimes submission gets forgotten, you know. And on the other side, you try to challenge women to speak up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and understand that there's worth and who they are and what they do and all these things. So it took me two years to leave the house. We were still in ministry, and I was 
crying out and begging that we should take a break and we should ask for help. I always have believed that we don't know it all and there's people who can give good counseling to these things, right? And sometimes pride and reputation and testimony and the testimony of the leader, you know, gets in the way. Oh, I can't, I, people are going to know. I beg to go to the next city. You don't have to go to a counselor that anybody knows. And my understanding is that they are not going to be telling people. I mean, it's part of their professionalism, supposedly, right? And I begged a lot about that, and it just didn't happen. Don't blame my husband for that. I think he had his own set of battles. You know, it, it was very hard. His family was very well known. So it's hard to think that you're failing at something. That's that's what I think. Two years inside of the house, I was separated already. I feel like I have my grief. Most people just leave the house and grieve somewhere else. But I, I had all that going on inside of the house. We did not let go of ministry during that time. So I felt like I didn't want to expose, you know, him because he didn't want anybody to know. But at the same time, you carry the burden of, oh, my gosh, we're leading all these people. And people we love. And I don't feel qualified. I found in ministry a refuge. I did a lot of things during that time. I kind of got really busy, and you can do that very well in ministry. There's a lot to do, you know, and I try to be surrounded by people a lot because it would charge my batteries and kept me going. But at some point, I had to put it down and say, you know, I am too invested in doing for the Lord, but not being anything for Him. At different stages in life, I think we hold on to identity or rely on different things for our identity. People will look up to you in a different way when you are married to give counseling and, you know, you're under the authority of your husband, especially in Guatemala. So by the time you get to divorce, all those things... Get stripped away. Yeah. That's why divorce was very hard for me. I felt like, okay, I know I'm God's child, regardless of... Being married or not, I have a calling, and that's individual. You have a calling, and that cannot be taken away, but will I be able to do anything for a long period of time? And I was willing to sit down and and just um, be a support system to church and ministry and of other people. I, I don't think the church knew what to do. In Guatemala, I think now, I mean, I've been in the States almost 10 years now, must be different. I'm, I'm guessing I missed something there because 10 years is a long time. But at the time when I was going through this, I don't feel like the church was ready for that. When I mean ready means have tools to help people because everything is designed for couples or single people, but not people who has necessarily gone through divorces and are hurt. And during my own path, as I was going through my path, God allowed me to help some women who were going through some of those things. And they expected me to tell them, yeah, go ahead and get a divorce. That's not what the Bible says. We all know that it would be best if not, right? We, we don't, wouldn't do that. But it's quite a journey. The church didn't have a place for those who were not with the husband. A lot of women in my church... A lot of women whose husbands cheated on them, but the wives were active in, in church. And when I mean active, it's like they would serve the, the juice and the bread for communion. Well, that was taken away because you're not, you're not divorced. And you're thinking, oh man, so who qualifies? I thought back a little bit. I asked the pastor at the time. I said, okay, so how long? Because it looks like I will be somehow disciplined for this, and I get it, and I don't mind. I mean, if that is going to set some precedent for, for people to, to learn something, I'm willing. But I want to know how long, how long before I can go back and be restored. And there was no answer. It was hard. It was hard on the kids, too. You think your kids are not noticing, but they are. <laughs> and I remember my kids sat me down and told me, why don't we go somewhere and start over? Let's start from zero, maybe in a place where you might find yourself useful. And she did start over. Oh, yeah. Millie and Manolo and Diego moved to the United States in 2012. Millie married her current husband, William Acevedo, who was on our show last week. So if you missed him and check him out, he's got a great story. They have been at the Upper Room since 2013. They became a, a part of our Latino outreach that is in Salem, Ohio. Millie's had all sorts of roles in ministry She's been an interpreter. 
Her family were gospel singers and evangelists. She's been a teacher, a preacher, a trainer, has done a lot of work in women's ministry, and she even had a radio show. Her hobbies include jewelry making, which became a business for her when she was a single mom. (laughs) She also enjoys reading and she's one very busy lady. So Millie, we're so happy to have you here. So Millie, tell us who or what turned your light on. I would say different people at different times doing different things, which is the beauty of different ministries. Why do I say that? There's people that are so committed to make efforts to reach even if it's just one person. We were very blessed that uh, we crossed paths with Bob and Ann Henriquez. They are missionaries. They're still missionaries in Guatemala. My parents, being secular singers, traveled a lot. So I was an only child for seven years. And I was left behind, you know, at the care of friends and not family because we didn't really live any were near family, so different families would take care of me. I didn't really suffer. They were all really kind and nice. I just felt lonely, you know, and longed for my parents to be with me. The kind of career that they built at, at the time when we met the missionaries, they were very well known and represented Guatemala in different events, different cultural events. So they were representing Guatemala in this event back in 1979. Well, it sounds like a lifetime. In Spain, it took place in Spain. So they left in October and we were left with my aunt. While doing that, they got a job offer to stay for three months in a contract to sing in a different activity. They stayed for three months. So they left me and my sister with my aunt for a couple of weeks. But then, you know, now it's three months. (laughs) So I remember being nine years old. My mom over there in Spain, she is part of her testimony. She, She shares that she started to get really sad about where this career was taking them. And, and she kneeled down in the bathroom and, and just cry out to God, God, I want to be a mom and a wife. This is too much. I don't know if I can do this. Just help me, you know. And it was just a simple cry out. At the same time, you know, this 10-year-old is crying out, I want my parents in a different place, you know. God, I just want my daddy and my mom, you know. We, we spent Christmas without them and and this is all happening in the same time time frame. Bob and Ann Henriquez watching TV, and they're seeing my parents on TV. He sees them and he thinks, oh my, I wish these voices would be for singing to you, Lord. And he stood up from the table and put his hand on the TV and prayed over my parents right there. Lord, make these voices one day worship you. So all this are, is happening in the same time frame. My parents come back. We ended up meeting Bob and Ann Henriquez at a Commons friend birthday party. He was as surprised, you know, to see my parents there as we were glad to to meet them. And a friendship started there. Ann Henriquez had a Bible study with color paper. He had Bible questions, books of the Bible, logically, and, and she would just share those with people. And as they grew her friendship with my mom, my mom decided to go ahead and take this Bible study. So it worked this way. She would just give her lesson one, and I think her paper was green. On green paper, and my mom would just read her Bible and fill out the questions, turn it back, and she would, you know, check the questions. Sounds like schoolwork, but just check them and then discuss them with her. And, and that's how we did Romans. In the process of that, my mom had an encounter with Jesus. I asked Miss Ann, you know, do you have anything for kids? So now I'm around 11. And she said, yeah, later on, I figured out it was the same thing, but pink color, you know. (laughs) I got the Bible study, and it only took like three lessons for me to understand that I needed a Savior, that it doesn't matter if you are good, because I'm only 10. I didn't kill anybody or do anything too harmful, I think. (laughs) but I still needed a savior. My parents were going with a, through a lot of struggles in their marriage, and I see I was seeing them fight a lot. And when my mom received Christ, I could see a change in her. I saw something different, and I asked her, is this something, does this have anything to do with what Bob and Ann have shared with you? And she said, yes, I, I accepted Christ in my heart. And as I did lesson three of the Bible study and had that, I kneeled down by my bed, My encounter with Jesus was very simple. Lord, I want what my mom has. I just want to have that peace and that joy that she is showing today. I know the Bible says I need a Savior and you provided that. So 
I just want you to be in my heart. Amen. <laughs> that was the end of the prayer and went to bed. I woke up with a lot of joy. I was very excited about my decision, told my mom about it. My dad wasn't very happy about it. All of a sudden, he decided that he was religious. He never really practiced anything, but he wanted to fight back all the things that we were telling him from the Bible. So he didn't allow us to go to church for close to two years. Bob and Ann Henriquez were obviously, you know, the ones that brought the gospel into my home. But then at the time when we were already uh, believers and we couldn't go to a church, I had this, you probably remember this, Beth, those alarm clocks that are also radios. Mm -hmm. And, you know, okay, so um, there Kate, was... Kate wouldn't know that. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I think they still sell them in Walmart. I they they just look very... College. Kate woke up with that cell phone yeah. alarm by her bed. <laughs> Anyway, they still sell them, but they're not as bulky as mine was. Mine was like, they took the whole night. Ten pound radio clock. So there was, that I know of, there was only one Christian uh, radio station. I would eat and breathe and love everything that I would hear from that radio station. You know, people that I didn't know, but will pour into my life. I remember, you. I don't know if you're familiar with Luis Palau. He had a program that was called Luis Palau Response, and he would start with, we have a letter from Margarita from Argentina, and she would like to know, what do you do when you feel guilt? And then he would go on with different topics, just one question, and then he would answer the question with the word of God. One of the letters that he would get from somebody was somebody saying, I don't know what to do. I accepted Christ, but every time I sin, I feel this guilt and I want to accept Christ again because I feel so guilty that I am, you know, sinning. And, and then he goes on. That's the very first time I heard First John 1, 9, that you need to confess your sin. I thought, wow, I'm glad I heard this because by then I had accepted Christ like 10 times because <laughs> I thought just like the lady in the letter that every time I would sin, you know, I had to ask him again to come into my heart because he probably left. It was too dirty, you know, to stay. <laughs> um, so I, I'm a great believer in radio <laughs> ministry. It reaches out to people that they don't know, but they invest time and money and effort and words to take the word. And, and some people, that's all they have. And that's all I had at the time. So, Well, I, you're the third person on here that has talked about getting saved by laying your hands on the TV. And Lynn talked about that and Kathy talked about it. And you talked about the missionaries laid the hands, hands on, on the TV, TV when they saw your parents singing secular music. So right. all shapes and forms Oh yeah, lead, can lead to the gospel. Absolutely. So that was one part, right? The mission, the, the mission work. I have great admiration for those who leave their culture and their home, and sometimes their family and their comfort to go somewhere that they don't know, learn the language, and mingle with people that probably look very different and act very different than than themselves. And they still love the people, invested in the people. And Bob and Ann did invest a lot in my parents, and and therefore me. So eventually my dad came around and he also had an encounter with Jesus. I think that was a turning point for my life. Uh, I was very blessed that the day that he accepted Christ, my dad being a macho man, didn't want to admit that he needed the help on anybody of anybody, but he called Bob and Bob came over and they prayed. And um, the one thing my dad did that really made a print in my heart I was sitting on my bed when all this is happening in the living room, and I had my Bible in my hands. I Usually when I would see him, I would just put it away because he was not then very nice about me reading my Bible. So I saw him coming, and so I folded my, my Bible, and he kneeled down, and eye to eye, you know, he said to me, I have not been a very good father. And my childhood was tough. He was very abusive in his discipline, and it made me feel somehow not connected with him rejected. When he gives his testimony, he does say, you know, that at some point he felt like I was an obstacle for him and my mom to achieve the success that they wanted in their career. And obviously they needed to look for a place to leave me. So I was kind of in the way. So it was really hard to connect with him. But that day with tears in his eyes, you know, he said, please forgive me. I am not going to be perfect the next day, but I will really try to be better. He has had his own journey and grown. I don't look back with any resentment of any kind, but I think it was because of that one moment. You know, I look back and I think, wow, 
I was blessed that an adult gave me the message that people messes up, but you still have the chance to try again. And that really marked me for life. So when we go back to divorce topic and all that, those things, those moments and those people that put, you know, the good seed in your heart, it comes back. So radio ministry, Bob and Ann Henriquez, and then in my later years, other missionaries uh, in church challenged my life, you know, and, and challenged me as a person to make choices about serving the Lord. I remember going to a, a missionary conference, which was very at that time, it was something that every church would have, or they would come together with different churches and have a big event, and they would bring missionaries from other countries. And my dad was very strict, so I didn't go to many of these events, but this one I went. And it was Tokumbo Adeyemo from Africa. I cannot recall what the topic was, but I was amazed, amazed at the work of the translator, because Tokumbo did not speak Spanish. But the translator was Tokumbo in Spanish, you know, and I was just amazed at his job, at the job he was doing. And at some point in the conference, I don't know if you remember the projectors with the slides and the little transparent pictures. I don't know what you call those, but that's what they had. They projected a picture and they said that people never have heard of Jesus. And I started crying. I thought, how in the world people never have heard of him? And it just, it broke my heart to think that there's people that didn't know of the Lord and all that. So I remember simply, I didn't have complicated words to talk to the Lord. I just said, I would love to be somebody like that guy right there and be a bridge to people. And I remember when they called people to the altar, I went down and my prayer was simple too. I, I just pray, Lord, if I, if I can do anything for people to know of you, just use me. So a missionary from my church came and prayed with me, and then I went home. Nothing magical happened. It was just a simple prayer. So I go home, and that evening I sat on the bed, and I cried thinking, oh my, what am I going to do if God sends me to Africa? And if I don't have toilet paper? And if I don't have, and I started thinking of all the things that I probably would be, you know, without that I'm used to, because I was young, I was like 14 or 15 or something like that. And I thought, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> when you give a vow to God, you know, you can't just say no after that. Anyways, I was somehow a little scared of what I just have done, but excited at the same time. I used to eat books, like I would read them and I read all the missionary books and I, I dreamed of being a missionary and a doctor and everything that you read in the mission stories. So I got a little excited, but scared at the same time. So the missionary showed up in my home the next morning, the missionary that had prayed with me and told my parents what I've done. You know that she made a decision yesterday and her decision is that she will be serving the Lord. And I just want you to be parents that encourage her and support her. Because that's the most beautiful thing a daughter or son can do. So my parents had no choice, right? Then he sat me down and he said, knowing who you are, Millie, you probably are going to want to drop school and just move somewhere and save the world. You're not supposed to do that just yet. You need to pile all the tools that you can to do a better job for God. Just be aware because he's going to be throwing at you some of these opportunities to get good at tools. So I did that. That was August, and then at the end of August, Bob Henriquez called my parents and said to them, there's a family in Alabama that would like to sponsor an international student. Would you like to send Mildred with them? And you have to know my parents. They said yes, but I knew it was a God thing. They didn't ever let me go anywhere too far from them. And if there were boys involved, that was a no, 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 no. This home, they only had, they had three sons. It was in Alabama, and my parents said yes. First tool that God gave me was English. I was able to go there for 10th grade, went the whole year <laughs> to school. Uh, it was a Christian school. Didn't know a word in English, you guys. It was bad. <laughs> I had a, an English-Spanish dictionary, and of course, somebody took it from me and hid it, and then you feel naked because you don't have anything to work with. So I figured out that if I had my Bible with me, I could do okay. Because I know a lot of verses by memory. So if I could think of a word in one of those verses, I just needed to look it up in the English version and find that word if I needed anything. I joined the choir. So music played a big role in my life. 
All this to say, you know, God uses different people at different times to light up your life, you know, and, mm-hmm. and bring purpose or show you a path of purpose. And I am just grateful for every person that God at different times had put or, or ministry. I After that time in school, I went back to Guatemala. I was able to go into a missionary school and finish high school in an American way because it's different than the schools back in Guatemala. And that gave me the chance to earn a scholarship to come to John Brown University in Arkansas. And I did a year of college there. Went back, did Bible seminary in Guatemala. All along, I wanted to just look for ways to serve the Lord. And God is faithful. He doesn't call you and not provide, you know, for the things you need. And Mm -hmm. he has always been faithful in giving the tools and the means to do One thing that you said that I think is really important that we as Christian parents need to recognize is when you said your dad came to you and apologized to you. And I think that in the church, Christian parents, we sometimes can get a bad rap and kids can think we're hypocritical when we don't apologize. And so I think that's so important that, and that's such a beautiful picture that you said marked you when your dad was Mm -hmm. able to apologize and say, I was wrong and I need to do better. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a great lesson for all of us to remember as we're raising our kids. Mm -hmm. And even today, you know, I think a lot of that age bracket that we have in like the 20s, college kids, especially the this generation, you know, they are seeing a disconnect be- between <coughs> what the parents have as a testimony and, and what they live at home, et cetera. And, but they're voicing it out and they do say, you know, I don't want to be in church because of this. They need to hear from us that we are not a done deal. You know, we're still in the making and we need to say it. We need to say, I, I'm wrong and, and I have done this wrong. And But again, God's grace is enough to give me a new day and get up and keep going. So Millie, tell us what lights you up. I am passionate about people in general. You know, I sometimes just go into a Walmart and look at people and I wonder what their story is. I wonder where they're heading It kills me to think that uh, nobody has talked to them maybe about the Lord. And I like people and I live for people. Like I I really like to connect people to whatever resources they need, you know, and whether they're spiritual or physical. I love working with women in general and it's probably one of the favorite ministries and being a bridging language has been also something that I enjoy a lot. I'm not a doctor and I didn't get to be that doctor missionary, but I have worked with doctors and brought, you know, the medicine to the ill and just was the bridge. I didn't have to be, you know, a doctor. I was the one that connected those two via language or other means. So I think that's so interesting. When you were saying you're at the conference and seeing the translator was something that sparked Mm -hmm. such interest. And I'm thinking here to myself, I've never been anywhere and really necessarily thought about the translator's role. And I've been to Mexico a couple of times and been separate places. And But I mean, I think that that's so beautiful because God put that man in that conference in that moment to spark you. And it's just fascinating to me that if I would have been there, that's not something that would have sparked me, but that was inside of you already mm-hmm. to be lit. That example or seeing someone do it so beautifully is something that you have remembered and have walked into. And I just love how God put those moments in our lives where we see something that sparks us that might not spark anyone else in the room. Mm -hmm. That we have these moments where you're saying, you know, what lights you up? Mm -hmm. It's just so fascinating to me that it's so different. And how that was followed by one of the first tools, learn English. Mm. You know, so it's just how God lines up a path You have these ideas in your head of what it would look like, but it's just so amazing that God gives confirmation and puts like stones to follow, you know, he leaves a trail for you to follow. And it is exciting that he loves you that much. So Millie, you've been in ministry for decades and have done all sorts of ministry in different ways, church planting, interpretation, training, teaching, theology school. You've done it all. But tell us in this season in your life right now, how are you letting your light shine? This has been a very different time. We still are doing ministry as as a family. 
right now with the church that was planted in Salem, you know, if you heard the story of my husband last week, you heard a little bit of how that got started. You know, he was by himself here looking at all the Guatemalans in Salem and wondering if there was anything for them. And that led, you know, to start ministering to them in, in their needs and then bringing Manuel. When I came nine years ago, William was already serving, you know, that community. And I came alongside to help them in any way possible, bringing them to court or to their medical appointments. We realized that a lot of that was just community service, not necessarily capturing their hearts. And we felt like we needed a breakthrough. We tried to do Bible study with some of them. And at some point, we felt so inadequate, you know, because uh, it's a Guatemalan community, but it's a native community. And I do not know their dialect. I'm more like I'm more of a city girl, which is lame when you are doing ministry. You want to be more like everybody so that you can actually reach out to them. But when Manuel was brought here, we took the back seat. We decided to be Manuel and Carmen's support. So we fill in the blank. And that's what William and I do, like whatever they need, you know, in church. So I've done it all. I've done kids ministry and whatever is needed. And right now I'm in the one leading the worship and when he's gone I'm going to be part of the team preaching so it, it's just like filling in the blank in when whatever and whenever they they need it that's how I feel this season has been it's just more a support system to them it's been a, a time of recovering that identity that we talked about earlier and understanding more of the being and not so much the doing for the Lord although we're still doing some of these things it's a season of grown children. So some of the light is really going towards them, <laughs> you know, trying to still be the ears and, and listening to their things and their plans. And sometimes they come back seeking for advice. So that has been, uh, a lot of our time has been invested there. On the other hand, we have been in the building of businesses and William has his own business. I have my business and that has allowed us to meet people. I always, I, I have never seen ministry as just a thing that we do necessarily at church. It goes with you. It goes where you go. And if you are in the community, you're touching the community. So as I'm doing that, the people I'm meeting right now, that's where a lot of that light is trying to go. I've sat with people, my, my business is in financial services. So I meet with them and I give a little bit of a presentation and education on what finances are. But it's amazing that care transpires. People knows when you care. People knows that, that you have a heart for them. They will notice those things. So I've had the experience of now with COVID, you know, I had a lot of clients that I had to see via Zoom and I'm giving a presentation. Sometimes I have to close the presentation and ask what's going on. And sometimes I pray for them. And sometimes, you know, you, they share a little bit of their lives and I'm able to share of the Lord, you know, and that doesn't sound very professional, but it's how it goes. It goes <laughs> with me. <laughs> so uh, that's how I see ourselves right now. William and I have dreams of doing a lot more. This is just a season where, where we are building something and God knows our intentions in building this. We really have prayed that the Lord will trust in us more resources so that we can give more and build more. That has been our prayer for a while. We're not very good dreamers, still limit ourselves, but we feel like we're dreaming a little bigger now. And because of, of the life we have sometimes, it's so busy, we don't even allow ourselves to dream. And we have tried to, you know, recover identity, recover those dreams and believe that God can use us even in greater ways. And we're not trying to get our name out there. It's more have more to give more kind of thing instead of just raising support from everywhere what if we are one of those people that can give more? You know, mm -hmm. we, we want to be more generous and more of administrators of what the Lord has given us. And, and so it's a season where we have committed to build some things. We would love to, actually, that's more on William's side, but see orphanages. And why do we need to give just for one well to be built? What can it be? Ten wells, you know, and we want to be short-term missionaries or maybe support more missionaries. So this time of building, although it's still on the busy side, is where we are allowing ourselves to just be support system for others and shine every opportunity we have. Millie, question number four, would you be willing to share a story or an experience you've had that was supernatural? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
when we came to the upper room, again, our, our minds are very simple. We were just praying for more. And we're praying for more of God. We want to understand more who you are and experience you more. Uh, I never had attended a church that is spirit-led before. And so in that context, so before, you know, in a conservative environment and everything, when Marcus passed away, and this probably moms that have lost their children or were not able to bring your baby home, you probably relate to this because you go home after the funeral and... Uh, I had a C-section, okay, so I was not recovered just yet from that. So I made all physical efforts to go visit him in the hospital. He passed away, we went to the funeral, got home, and I couldn't get up from bed after that. Adrenaline keeps you going and everything, but then your body's just crashing. So here I am, you know, in bed and very sad with everything. A lot of things. One is, man, we didn't have all the resources to give him probably what he needed. You know, you have all these thoughts and you feel empty. There's a room waiting for him, you know. And um, he was going to share a room with Diego. His crib is there. His, you know, everything is there. And, and you feel like you're missing something. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're going to miss his first day of school, his graduation, his day of getting married. And those thoughts, you know, just hit you really hard. With pain, I remember kneeling by my bed and just crying to God. Man, I feel like I'm going to miss all those little moments with my baby. I know he's in a better place, but I didn't even get to see who he was going to look like. I have two kids that don't look too much alike there. I promise you they're from the same father. But I was wondering which of the kids, you know, if he was going to look more like Manolo. And it felt like a gaze. It was not, I wasn't really asleep and I wasn't really awake. But I saw God's hand pointing at a gate and the gate opened. And it was multiple people dressed all in white clothing. And as I put my eyes in that direction, they all moved to the side. And this young man came to the front. And he showed me Marcus. And I saw his face. I, I cannot begin to tell you, you know, it was just something God knew I needed. And I had peace with it. Shortly after that, we got the phone call from the head of the pediatrics in that hospital was where he was born. And he said that he would like for my then husband and I to come to his office. And we went there. This was not a Christian man, but he said, I just felt that God wanted me to talk to you guys about something. Just look at each other like, what is it? And he said, well, I just want you to know this. In a public hospital, when a child comes in with some type of illness, he only gets one sensor coming in. We don't change it to multiple ones. And when that goes back, goes back because we don't have a lot of resources. Your kid had three. I'm the one who authorizes, you know, antibiotics and medications. We're also limited, but your kid had them all, just like he would have had in any of the private hospitals. And he went on to say how they treated him in every, you know, stage of what he needed. And, and he said, we did everything humanly speaking. And if it's hunting you that you didn't have the resources to give him what he needs, I want you to not allow that to happen. I'm also the head of pediatrics in one of the private hospitals. And wow. I, I gave him everything that I would have given him there. Those are moments when you know it's God. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you 100 more of those, but yeah. God, is, God is faithful. Yeah. He knows when we need it and how we need it. And he makes sure we know it's him. I love your story, Millie, that you at a young age gave your heart to the Lord and you also made a commitment to serve the Lord mm -hmm. and that you were willing to do that. And you did, you went, you got educated, you took a risk and you did a whole lot of things. And then you had heartache and trauma and pain and went through loss and divorce. And there's people out there listening that may feel like you did back when that happened to you, like that's it. There's nothing more for me. I can't serve anymore. And you have such a beautiful story of how God uses those hard things and doesn't stop you just because you've went through pain or heartache or divorce. That doesn't disqualify you 
it's he's in the business of restoring people and how he took your life and you continued to partner with him and he restored you. He gave you a new husband. You know, you're raising beautiful men that were little boys and that your light is still shining and you're still doing the work of the Lord. And I just think that people need to hear that. If you're out there and you think, man, I just don't count or I'm disqualified or something happened. Hearing stories like Millie, where she did experience heartache and loss and pain, but there's beauty that comes out of that. And if you know Millie and you've gotten a chance to meet her, she is beautiful. She shines her light. She's loving. People are just drawn to her and she's making an impact. And so I really appreciate you sharing those things that are hard and vulnerable. And it's so amazing to hear your story and where you've come from all the way from Guatemala to the upper room here in Columbia, Ohio. And we are really blessed to have you here and have you a part of our church family and a part of our community. And the service that you're doing in our community and in Salem is amazing. Yeah, I am blessed to be part of upper room. And if you're out there thinking the same things I've thought at some point, you know, you question your worth. I have to say, I still do sometimes, Beth. I'm still in, you know, God is still working in my heart, healing, you know, some of the things. But we don't stop. I mean, I don't want to stop serving God. I remember when I was going through the divorce, there was one person that took me by my shoulders and said, everything seems to be crumbling right now, but the most important relationship is the one that you have with the Lord, not with your husband, not with the church, not with your kids, with the Lord. And he's still there. He'll walk you through this. And so no matter what we're going through, you know, he still uses the broken We can still hug people. We can still smile. We can still serve them in so many different ways. And if you're not doing that, you're preventing the world of a great blessing because you are a blessing and you can, with your talents and your life, you're called to make a difference and just follow that call. So good. That's great. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.